Uh, so what I was saying is, I, I just I love this I love this season. I love what happens in our city. I love what happens in me. Just the, to step into Advent, to step into the Christmas season, uh, it's great. Things begin to slow down a bit um, here in the city. The city sort of empties out over December as folks uh, travel to go see family and friends and other things. And the city itself like decorates well and kind of shows off. It's a beautiful place in which we live. Um, and as I come into the season, there's like a vision that I have for myself for December. And there's a way that I think about this, like, you know, typically I think about how my December is going to go on like Thanksgiving afternoon. How do I want to enter into Advent? And typically the, the way that I imagine me moving through December is like I'm just sort of strolling, you know, and I'm dressed sharply uh, and I'm moving through the month and maybe I've got like a you know, like a smoking jacket. And even though it's like 27 and sleety and sloshy, I am unmoved by the weather. And I think I'm like carrying like a sniffer of like eggnog. And I'm just sort of strolling through December in this way. Uh, and I, if, I could, if I had a picture that sort of captured this image for me, like I think it would be, uh, uh, you know, just sort of this one where it's, uh, you know, sort of warm, everything's decorated and in its right place. There may or may not be people in the picture, uh, but it just, <laughs> like, it feels warm. However, often what I find that actually happens as I move through December is I find myself sort of rushing and scurrying through my December. And yes, there's a few days kind of right after Christmas where things are, uh, you know, nice and restful, but the remainder of the month is like, you know, rush hour, Rock Creek Parkway, it's like, hurry and then stop, and like, hurry and then stop, and, and it feels like that that's sort of the herky-jerky nature, and if I had an image for what my real December sort of looks like, I think it would be kind of more like, you know, kind of chaos, and a lot of people around me, which as an introvert is like, ah, you know, I don't want that to happen to me, and the thing about both of these images, though, uh, for me, is that they both represent ways that I'm trying to have a meaningful and faithful and filled and satisfying holiday season, because on the one hand, there's like, it's just me, and I'm surrounded by sort of the things that make me happy and I can rest and it's restful and it's reflective. And on the other side, it's a, a sort of this mad dash to acquire a few things, to give some gifts away, to be at parties where I'm surrounded by people, to be engaged in celebratory rhythms. And, and both of them are actually desires that I have for how I enter into Advent. Both images in the Advent season, they, they reflect something that's, that wages inside of me. And the thing is that both of them, they tempt me to believe that they can each satisfy the hope that I have for Advent. They both sort of offer something uh, to me. And as good as they might be, I have to be careful because they'll both leave me unsatisfied. The warm room by the fireplace, truth is, fire might get too hot. Sweater I'm wearing, too itchy. You know, however it is, and you can only drink so much eggnog over the course of the month, really. And the gifts and the hustle and bustle, well, we know how quickly that that can wear on you and wear you out. So a December that's filled with holiday parties and friends and family, like those things are nice, but they can also leave us far more exhausted than we plan to be at the end of the month. In both images, they have elements that are meaningful, but what they both have missing is the biggest point of any Advent season, and what they are all missing is the presence of Christ. 
the feasts, the fireplaces, the parties, the decor, the, the gifts given and received, if we're not careful, they end up actually pushing Jesus out, squeezing him out to the edges of the very holiday designed to center him. And this Christmas, like the first Christmas, we can find ourselves in a situation where we've not made much room for Jesus. And this year as we approach Christmas, we've taken up um, the Advent theme of making room. And our chief question for Advent this, uh, this Advent is this, how might we make room for Jesus in our lives? And as we explore the four Advent virtues of love and joy and peace and hope, how do we make room in our lives for those things? Melissa read the Christmas story from Luke's Gospel, and in that story we find Joseph and Mary, and they're traveling to Bethlehem in order to be counted in the Roman census, and that was decreed by Caesar. Bethlehem was Joseph's hometown, and uh, that's where he needed to go in order to participate in the census. And when Joseph and Mary arrive, they realize um, that Mary is about to have the baby, and so they need to stop for the night, and they find that there's no room for them in any of the houses that they approach. And traditionally, we think of this as there being no room for an inn, but more likely it was that there was no room for Joseph and Mary in the homes of their family members. In other words, there, was, there just wasn't any room for them for Joseph, for Mary, and no room made for Jesus either. We don't know exactly why there wasn't uh, room made for them. They were a young couple and Mary pregnant after all. Seems like the kind of situation where you'd make room for a young woman many months into her pregnancy. We don't know if they were resigned to the stable because they were late arriving into town or if they were being ostracized by their family because Mary was an unwed woman with a child. But whatever the reasoning, the result was that there was no room made for the family and no room made for Jesus. And as we approach the celebration of Jesus' birth, the question that's before us is how do we make room for Jesus this Christmas? How do we make room in our lives for the hope of Christ, the joy of Christ, the love of Christ, and the peace of Christ? And whatever ways we imagine this holiday season, how do we actually center on Jesus? This question for us is actually not a, a new question. It's, it's one that we ask, or a version of this question we ask every year at Christ City Church, each Advent. Each year we wonder how we might celebrate this season in a way that more faithfully reflects our faith and displays to each other, to the world, and to ourselves a true picture of God's great grace given to the world through Jesus. One of the responses to that question that we've had every year as a church is a rhythm where we've taken up an Advent offering. Every year for the past five years, we have taken up an offering and all of the money gone to organizations and ministries and agencies that are working for the common good. Some of the organizations, they have a Christian mission, but the majority of them have not. The organizations, um, uh, they don't know that we're taking up the offering ahead of time. Uh, and so when they're given the gift, it's a surprise to them in much the same way that those first shepherds were surprised at the news that a Messiah had been born. Our aim in the Advent offering is that we as a church might display to our world God's love and generosity through our giving that reflects God's generosity on that very first Advent when Jesus was born. This year, the Advent offering uh, is going to go to three organizations, two of them that are in our neighborhood and one that's international in scope. And this year's Advent offering will go to organizations that are serving three primary uh, populations that many times experience isolation and marginalization. And yet these organizations are ones that are communicating to us and to those whom they serve that they are image bearers of God, 
that they have within themselves the fingerprints of God and that they matter and that they're not alone. In keeping with our Advent theme of making room, each of these organizations, in their, in their own unique ways, they wouldn't use this language, but in their own unique ways, are making room for hope and joy and peace and love. And they've been making room for those for whom room is often not made. The three organizations are SMILE, Changing Perceptions, and World Relief. SMILE, or Sexual Minority Youth Assistance League, it's a 34-year-old organization here in Washington, D.C. that was started by a group of social workers that were working with D.C. youth that were experiencing homelessness. They uh, began seeing firsthand the isolation that LGBT uh, homeless youth especially were experiencing. So they banded together to start SMILE, specifically to address the needs of LGBT youth. Currently, SMILE provides transitional housing for LGBT homeless youth, which is located just a few blocks from here, as well as a range of youth empowering services, after school programming, mentoring, tutoring, counseling, and mental health resources. Uh, Changing Perceptions is the other organization. They serve the reentry community, ex-offenders and formerly incarcerated individuals here in Washington, D.C. Changing Perceptions' origins are actually in the reentry community themselves, birthed out of the experiences of ex-offenders as they struggle to find gainful employment and services to help them make the transition back into their communities. Changing Perceptions, they provide job training, and business development, training programs to prepare returning citizens for career pathways that will help them advance financially and equip them with the life skills that will help them flourish. They, too, are located just blocks away from where we're sitting now near Stadium Armory. The third one is World Relief. World Relief is an international Christian relief and development organization that partners very closely with local churches around the world to care for folks that are experiencing poverty or violence or both. In the U.S., World Relief has been at the forefront of working with immigrants and refugees and collaborating with refugee resettlement agencies, as well as local churches to assist refugee families. In the wake of uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's zero tolerance policy earlier this year, children and families were separated and continue to be separated. And World Relief provides lawyers and uh, advocates, advocates and uh, partners with local churches in order to get families reunited through their family reunification fund. This fund gives World Relief flexibility to respond uh, to a dynamic situation that's on the border. Now, each of these ministries and agencies, they're caring for those on the margins of society here in D.C., as well as around the world. Organizations that in different ways have made room for hope and joy and love and peace. And, and I do want to encourage all of you to give uh, to this year's Advent offering. Your gifts to this offering are above and beyond your regular giving to Christ City. Um, you can give online. We've got a drop-down box uh, on our website where we're collecting the Advent offering and we'll collect it through the end uh, for the rest of December. Now I've just given you a lot of information here let me tell you this. So our goal this year is 37 million dollars. <laughs> well you guys chuckle just kidding. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have a goal the, other than generosity. Um, other than generosity and a, a, a desire to display God's love from just one simple church to some organizations that are doing some meaningful work. And in that way, a chance for us as a church family to make room in our lives for Jesus this Advent. And so I want you to give, I want all of you to give. But that's not the only way that I want us to make room for Jesus this Advent. It's not just giving gifts as noble and as beautiful as they are. Another way for us to make room this Advent is for us to reflect and to celebrate both, both to reflect and to celebrate, namely for us to reflect on Jesus and his love, his joy, his peace, his hope. And over the course of the next few weeks, we will explore each of the Advent 
uh, virtues. Next week, one of our elders, Marissa Stubbs, will lead us in reflecting on Christ's love and how we make room for that this Advent. Next week, Andrea, along with a special creative presentation from our kids in Kid City, will help us reflect on and celebrate joy of Christ that is more than carols and candy canes and lasts longer than December 25th. And our final week of Advent, we'll light the peace candle and we'll celebrate the peace that Jesus brings into our lives and we will ache together for the peace that still lingers on the horizon of history awaiting Jesus' second coming. Our creative team has um, done a masterful job of creating a space for us. And your seats is an Advent guide that we can use that will help us reflect well this Advent season. The guide will follow the sermon series, but rather than being sort of a reading and writing guide only, it's designed to be a tool for creativity as well. There are spaces to draw and to color and to create poetry. There are devotions written by creative storytellers and creative writers in our church. It's accessible for people of all ages. So make sure that you grab one of these or a couple of these and let it be a gift to you this Advent. Today, though, I want us to reflect on hope. The thing about hope from the Bible's perspective is that it isn't simply optimism based on circumstances. That optimism doesn't actually get much play in the Bible. There's a realism to the Bible. I understand, sort of, I wouldn't say the Bible's pessimistic. It's just optimistic realists. Um, the, the biblical stories, they don't peddle in optimism much. Um, the church staff, we <laughs> took a planning retreat um, earlier this week. We got out of town about 90 minutes outside of D.C., went to this cabin. We spent a couple of days there. We we're planning sort of uh, the, the, next, the next year, so 2019. So we were well prepared and ready for everything that will come next year. Um, as we were driving out to the outskirts of this sort of rural community in Maryland, we were driving and we passed the bingo hall. Uh, which apparently was very popular in this community because we passed several, but there was one in particular that, took, that caught my attention. It was called the Optimist, the Optimists Club Bingo Hall. And I thought, wow, that is a fantastic name. Man, that's good. I, I think I might like my odds at that bingo hall. You know, sort of a bunch of optimists show in and be like, B12, like, I got it, you know, bingo. It's got to be better than, you know, like the maybe you will, maybe you won't bingo hall. Um, but the Bible isn't like that bingo hall. Optimism isn't its strength, but sobriety is. And in the story of the Bible, hope doesn't ever rest on circumstances changing or situations changing. Rather, hope always rests on a person in the scriptures. Throughout the Bible, whenever the people of God articulate a hope, they're articulating a hope in God. They are hoping in someone, not that something will happen or that some set of events will happen. They're hoping that God will show up. Their hope always rests on a person. There are a few different words that the Bible uses for hope, especially in the Old Testament. The Hebrew words are yahal and kava. And they have very similar meanings. They both mean to wait or to hope. The difference is in a bit of a nuance. One of the words, yahal, it just simply means to wait or to anticipate or to hope. The word kava means to wait but with tension, as in to prepare for, much like a farmer might wait or hope for their crops. They're waiting for the things to break through the ground and for the fruit to ripen. But they aren't waiting passively. They are preparing for and anticipating and hoping. And when we read the story of Jesus' birth in Luke 2, it serves us well to remember that we're reading a story that is dropped into the middle of both waiting and diminishing hope. The people of God have been waiting and hoping for a Messiah for hundreds of years at this point. 
They are waiting and hoping and drowning in desperation from it all. And it was at this point that a messenger arrives with the news that the one in whom all of their hope was housed, that that one was now among them, was born in a manger. The angel delivers the news to the shepherds in verse 11. Today, we know that you've been hoping, we know that you've been waiting, you've been anticipating, you've been living in the tension of it, but today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. What the angel sets in motion is this radiating effect that can come with hope. From their testimony to the shepherds, a ripple effect of hope begins uh, to take shape and the angel lets the shepherds know that the Messiah, that God's anointed one, that their rescuer had arrived, that hope had been stirred. And now at this point, no circumstances had changed in the lives of the shepherds. No uh, changes had happened even in the lives of Joseph and Mary for that matter. Rome was still occupying and the shepherds still had sheep and Joseph and Mary were still homeless. But that mattered less because their hope wasn't in changing circumstances. Their hope was in a person. Their hope was in God. And God had been incarnated in the person of Jesus. And from this interaction with the angel, the shepherds, they rush to Bethlehem to find the Messiah. And they make sure that the angel's claims were true. Uh, If an angel shows up, it's okay to be like, hey, that's good. I hear you. Let me check it out for myself. Not, that's not wrong. Do that. If that happens to you, come and see me if it does. Um, so they make their way to the stable. They greet Joseph and Mary. They find Jesus. And then they uh, see that it's just as the angel said in verse 17, when they had seen him, Jesus. They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. They spread the word. The message that had come to them, they were now telling that message to others. And all who heard it, Those that heard the story, not that the angel said, but that the shepherd said, those that heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. The shepherds, they don't stay at the stable. They don't stay there. That might have been my inclination. The Messiah is here. Forget sheep. I'm with y'all now. That isn't what they do. They rush out and they tell others about what they'd seen because the story that comes to us doesn't terminate on us but is to go through us to others they rushed out and they tell others about what they'd seen angels messiah a manger they tell it all and what results in the lives of those that hear from the shepherd is amazement there's this pattern in luke 2 it's actually echoed throughout the old testament as well that the stories of god's work the story of hope embodied in the rescuing work of god those stories get told and retold and retold and in those stories are the seeds of hope that take root and then grow the angels tell the shepherds the shepherds listen to jesus and then they rush out and tell others and the reason that this is an important pattern is because it requires people to tell the stories of God's goodness and faithfulness. It embeds in a people the rhythm of remembering the ways of God and the ways that he has worked in the past. Because it's in remembering God's work in the past that we can then hope that God will continue to work in the future. Hope isn't built blind. It, it isn't blind and neither is it built out of nothing. Nothing. 
Rather, hope, Advent hope, hope that God will rescue, that God will heal, that God will redeem, that God will work things for my good. The hope that I or you or that we have together is based on a recognition that God has worked in the past and that God has healed in the past, that he's rescued in the past, that he's saved in the past. And because of that, I can hope that God will continue to work now and in the future. But what's needed in this is a messenger. It's a storyteller, a testifier. In Luke 2, the angel, angel is actually just a transliterated word from the Greek that means messenger. And messengers have messages. <laughs> the angel came with a message. And the shepherds took that message and it became their own message. And then the crowd took the message of God's work from the shepherds and they shaped it into their lives as well. And what they did was room was made for hope. Because they were able to remember the ways that God had worked in the past and how he was working now. And they could anticipate that he would work in the future. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. This morning I want us to make room for hope as well. And the way that we, like the saints of Scripture, make room for hope isn't by blind optimism, regardless what the sign at the bingo hall says. The things, the ways that we make room for hope is by remembering how God has been faithful and good to us in the past. By sharing testimony of God's healing and liberating and saving work in our lives and in different circumstances and seasons and situations in our lives. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you um, space and room to share your own testimonies this morning. Testimonies of God's faithfulness in your life, especially over this past year. Some of you, I know your story. I know what you've come through this year. I'm not going to call you out. It's okay. But if you have a testimony, if you have a story of God's faithfulness, we invite you to stand where you are and to share that story so that our hope in a God who has worked in the past can be stirred so that we can make room for Advent hope, knowing that God will work again in the future. So I invite you to give a testimony of thanksgiving or celebration. A way that for us to structure this when you stand, I'd like for you to open your testimony with the words, I give thanks to God because. And then I want you to Close your testimony with thanks be to God, and then you can sit down. And then church, when they say thanks be to God, then uh, we will respond with the words as well. Thanks be to God. And then whoever wants to share next, they can begin their testimony with I give thanks to God because, and then conclude it in that same way. So church, help us make room for hope and stir in us hope with your stories. The floor is yours. There, there are more stories have time in this moment to tell, but tell them, tell them to yourselves, tell them to your family, to your friends, strangers on the metro, <laughs> tell them to whoever will listen. The testimonies that we've heard, they have stirred in us hope, our hope is in the Lord. 
Our hope is in the Lord because of his great works, his mighty deeds that he has done in us and through us, and we have testified to that. And I pray that these stories of God's work, that they cause hope to bubble up in your life this Advent. In Psalm 130, it's a psalm of hope. Verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. In this passage, the psalmist, he uses these same words, these Hebrew words, kava and yahal. He uses them over and over. And it's translated here as wait, but it also means hope. To hope in tension. To anticipate the Lord's advent. I hope in the Lord, my whole being hopes, and in His word I put my hope. I hope in the Lord. Our hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And this advent... Let's make room for Christ and His hope by looking back at the countless ways that God has rescued us, even as we look forward to the ways where He will continue to heal. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, You've been good to us. You've been good to us in uh, seasons of plenty when the river is full and the crops are ready. You've been good to us. When things have been dry and the fog has been thick and the locusts have made waste of things for which we labored, you have been good in all seasons, God. And so we remember your goodness. And Lord, we're not ungrateful children, but we say we, we hope for more. We, we anticipate your ongoing advent into our lives, even this Christmas season, Lord. The whole purpose for your first advent was to come and to rescue us, to, to rest us from sin's grip and to put us on a path of life with you and flourishing and godliness in you, God. And so... Lord, we remember the ways you've worked in the past and we anticipate your ongoing work in our lives now. We've given testimonies. You've heard the sermons of the saints in this room. God, I pray that they make their ways to your ears and that you would hear and that you would delight even as we delight in you. God, I pray in whatever ways the stories that we've shared this morning stir hope in us, God, I pray that... Um, Pray that we would hang on to that. Not just the things you do, but that we would hang on to you. Let us cling to you. Holy Spirit, move in us so that we might make space this season for you. For all these things, in the name of the one who was born in Bethlehem. Jesus' name I pray. Amen.